This intro is provided by recording artist John Maxim. It's a clip from his new single, Blame. Follow him on Instagram at John Maxim Music. Up, get dressed up, confess up The worst of my feelings are very mischieving I struggle and blame myself It's my fault Welcome from the depths of darkness to the light of success This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Compass 9 Media Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Chris Wick Podcast Welcome to another episode of From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I'm your host, Chris Swick. Today's podcast is brought to you by my sponsor, Compass 9 Media. Thanks again so much, Tyson and Brandon, man, for all the work you do behind the scenes, you know, for my podcast and stuff. You guys do an amazing job. Today's great guest is from Orange County, California, Zach Westerbeck. You know, want to take it away and let him know a little bit about yourself. He's also before I, before he takes it away. He's also the author of "You're Not Alone," a new book out on the market. You guys should check it out. So, yeah, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, yeah, so for for all of your listeners tuning in, uh, my name is Zach Westerbeck. Uh, I am a mental health advocate. I'm a professional speaker, so I travel the country advocating for mental health, speaking to college students, speaking to corporations, uh, partnering with nonprofits. Um, I'm a college success coach. And then, uh, like you mentioned, I am the author of You're Not Alone, which is a mental health guide to overcoming anxiety and depression. And the the target audience is really uh, focused on that age group, 18 to 24. But I've had a lot of people reading the book since it launched uh, on October 12th, so almost a month ago now. And it seems to be pretty applicable for all ages. Um, so it's been it's been a true blessing to have such a honestly just a big uh, turnout and a lot of support for the book. And I just think that right now mental health is so um, it, it's such an important topic and 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 something that people are really really paying attention to. And I always say this in all my speeches, but we all have mental health, and it's something that we all need to care about. And I think that this book. Uh, really resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, thanks. So why so why the target uh, audience, the eighteen to twenty four? Is, is that when it hit you, like mental health problems with yourself and stuff? Yeah. So back in two thousand sixteen, um, I started to experience uh, various symptoms, and we can dive into that deeper. But I was I, I was inevitably diagnosed with a brain disorder, and what I what I came to discover through that process is that the onset of the majority of brain disorders take place between the ages of 18 and 24. I don't know why that just seems to be kind of the number. And for me, I fit that target. Um, And so I just, I understand that 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 age group is they're young adults, right? So they're, they're not quite, you know, working stiffs like we are now. Um, But they are, they're starting to mature and they're starting to get a, get a grasp on, uh, on their mental health, on the different aspects of life. And I just felt that this book would would help guide them in a time where, honestly, there's not a lot of resources out there like my book um, targeted towards this age group. And yet I think that they're, they're the age group that is mature enough to start to receive this type of information um, so that they can cope with and overcome feelings of anxiety, stress, depression, overwhelm uh, when they do hit. 
You know what I mean? For sure, man. You know, it, it hits home the book. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to pick up a copy at some point myself, you know, and give it a read and stuff. It sounds like a really interesting book, man. And, you know, there's always different, you know, views from every, every which way. And, you know, it's always nice to check out a new one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like my book is, my book is really focused on providing hope for people that are in that dark place right now. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I always joke that I got my PhD in lived experience. So my journey of learning how to live with a, with a chronic brain disorder and live with symptoms of anxiety and depression is what has given me the ability, the unique ability to write about this topic. And the book is filled with some of my stories, stories of hope for recovery. Um, but then it gets into like the nuts and bolts of how do you actually go about the process of recovery, which is something that we're never taught here in the States, at least, um, how to do for sure, man. And you know, there's gotta be more things out there and more people out there like yourself advocating for mental health. It's huge up here too. Like we're so underfunded up here too. It's, it's crazy. You know, I don't know how, what it is like down in the United States at all, but I know up here, like we're so underfunded, you know, just the way the police interactions are with people that have mental health issues or mental health episodes and stuff like that, you know, and it's awesome just to have people like you advocating for those other people that, you know, don't have a voice, man. You're doing an amazing job for sure. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, it is, it is very similar to down here. Um, it, I mean, mental health is like a sliver on the pie chart in terms of the funding um, that it receives. Like it's in the millions, but it, you know, when we're talking about trillion dollar budgets, it's, it's just a fraction of what it could be. And yet it's one of the biggest burdens on society. It's one of the biggest challenges that if we properly funded it, we could reduce crime. We could reduce uh, violence. We could improve the education system. We could improve productivity and, you know, increase uh, GDP for the economy. We could, you know, improve quality of life. We could reduce the amount of healthcare um, costs. It's just it, like all the data suggests that just having funding for for mental health care alone would be enough just just tweaking it and improving it just a little bit would be enough to create a ripple effect in so many other areas of society because ultimately we all have brains and the data suggests and this is coming from the center for disease control and prevention which is which is our organization here in the states is that 50% of americans over the age of 18 are going to experience some form of anxiety or depression in their lifetime so when you when you look at that it's inevitable number, it's inevitable because we're all going to go through challenges um and I talk about all the different factors in the book, but you ha there's so many different factors that you have to consider when you approach mental health. And really the core three are your genetics, um, the daily stresses of life that you go through, and then significant life events like a death, a divorce, a breakup, um, a major illness. Those types of uh, factors are going to impact your emotional well-being. They just, I mean, the science just points to it. And to think that we should expect human beings to just be able to shoulder through and deal with whatever they're going through on their own is very short-sighted. And I think it's a very archaic uh, belief system. And we need to start to realize that uh, once we take care of our emotional health and what's going on inside, uh, 
we as a society can show up much better as people for for each other, for our families, for our friends, for our companies that we work for, um, for our colleagues. Most definitely, man. So let's dive into a little bit about your personal story then. So where does it begin? So it's one of those things where, I, again, when I travel the country, I was kind of joked that it was a very unintended path for me. Um, just to put, just to frame that up and put things in perspective for you, I was a economics major uh, at Purdue University. So I fully intended on going down the business path. And I guess in a sense, I, you know, I am the owner of and founder of Westerbeck speaking and coaching and I, and I do run my own business, but I didn't think that this was going to be in the realm of things that I, that I ended up doing. And so little background on me for everybody who's listening is, and I was telling you, I I grew up in Indiana um, to a loving set of parents and a sibling, my sister, who's still one of my best friends to this day. And my childhood was largely comprised of hanging out with friends, going to school and playing sports. And so for me, like, I think sometimes you hear of these really traumatic childhoods. Well, that, that wasn't the case for me. I had, for all intensive purposes, outside of like some of the typical bullying that kids do to each other, I had a good, I had a good childhood growing up. And when I graduated from high school, um, I moved on to Purdue University to pursue a degree in economics. And um, I carved out a lane for myself there at Purdue, um, being in the in the Greek system, which uh, we we have fraternities and sororities here in the states. I don't know if that's the case in Canada. Well, they um, have the s- similar sorts of things for you know men and women and that kind of stuff too. Yeah, you see it all around in the university towns. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's I mean at the end of the day, it's just a way to have a community and a support system. And for me, this was this was an incredible four years. Um, and when I graduated, I moved from uh, Purdue University down to Raleigh, North Carolina to start my first job. And I was going to be in what they call this early in career program. And the idea behind that was they were going to fly in 30 to 40 young kids from around the country, recent college graduates, and they were going to train them up on all things about the company. And I was going to be working for the tech giant Cisco systems. So I felt like, all right, I'm in a good space. I'm in the technology sector. Uh, I'm going to be kind of in this cutting edge uh, sales environment. And I'm really, really excited about this. And so the first 10 months went kind of exactly how I would have pictured it. Like I was was having fun. I was learning a lot. I was hanging out with all of these people in the training program. And things were just going well. And all of a sudden, at right around the 10-month mark, things just snapped. And the way that my brain functioned just changed. And the best way that I could give an example to, to your listeners is that it felt like a light switch had been like switched on, almost like just like how you turn on and off the lights. And I'd flip this switch in my brain. And all of a sudden, I'm waking up with this pounding heart. I've got these sweaty palms, this dry mouth, and these racing thoughts. And the way that I would describe the racing thoughts is I want people to picture like a beehive. And it's all chill. Everything's good around the beehive. And then somebody goes up and smacks it. And a thousand bees come flying out and they're just swarming around the hive, swarming, flying in all these different directions. It's complete and total chaos. Well, that was what was taking my brain. I was having thoughts that were flying in every direction. And I just felt like I couldn't get a grasp on reality. Like I could, I just couldn't quiet my mind. 
and I'm 22 years old. I'm a 10 hour drive from home. I've just made these friends. I have no idea what's going on. I've never been taught anything about mental health. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. And 2016 was right around the corner. I'm a sucker for New Year's resolutions. And so I decided, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to sit in the steam room. And for the entire month of January, I'm not going to drink alcohol and I'm not going to smoke uh, marijuana. I'm just like, I'm just going to detox myself of everything. And Typical university students. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Typically, yeah. And that's exactly what I thought. I just felt like, you know what? My brain has just been put through the ringer. It just needed a detox. And, uh, you know, all I needed was a month and we're going to go back to normal. And so that's what I did for 31 days. But the only challenge is that at the end of the 31 days, I did get results. They just weren't the results that I was looking for. And so all the symptoms I've told, I just told you about, not only had those gotten worse and that I now know that those symptoms are anxiety, but a second emotion had crept in and that was depression. And in reflecting on my life, I had felt depression once before but it, it went away in time. And for the first time in my life, I was experiencing depression that I had no idea where it was coming from or why it was happening. And that was really scary for me because like when you don't have something that you can point to as to why you're feeling these emotions and you feel like your brain is kind of coming unglued, that's the way that I would describe it at that time things start to get really, really dark really, really quickly. Matter of two months, it feels like my world has been turned upside down. I'm in panic mode because my 31-day plan of detoxifying my brain did not work. It didn't work at all. The symptoms just got worse. And it's almost it was almost like the unveiling of this new brain that I had no idea was lying underneath the surface of you know, the substances that I was consuming, the distractions that I was trying to, to use to, to almost ignore my brain. And so I go into full out panic mode. And for the next two months, I'm scrambling to try to reset my brain. Again, I've still got this narrative. I just got to reset it. Okay. A month didn't work. I just need two months. Well, we'd get to the end of two months and things would, would get a little bit worse. Okay. I just need another month. And I just kept telling myself this narrative. And during this time, I was doing two things really, really well. You're just well. feeding yourself your own bullshit, basically, it sounds like. That's, that's exactly right. I was denying to myself, on, and that's one of the things that I was doing really, really well, is I was lying to myself where my brain health was headed. And I was hiding from the outside world just how quickly things were deteriorating. And I, and I remember a distinct moment when I was in the workplace was there something that caused like this, you know, chain reaction of uh, things to happen? So I'll talk about that here in a second, because you, we can trace it back to, to an event in my life. And so I'll tell you about that here in a second. Um, and it took some introspection to realize and doing research to understand. During this time period of, of denial and hiding, my brain health was deteriorating uh, so rapidly that at the peak of my dark period, I was thinking about suicide from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed. So, I mean, you could imagine this, Chris, right? It's like, you're trying to live your normal day. Think about your normal day routine. You know, for me, that was wake 
getting dressed for work, brushing my teeth, eating breakfast, driving in rush hour traffic to get to Cisco's 11 building campus. They had a beautiful campus in, in Raleigh. Um, it was sitting in meetings with, with, uh, you know, high achievers, people that were trying to make a name for themselves in, in the corporate space and trying to pay attention to what they had to say. All the while, you're trying to talk to me about uh, sales figures and Cisco technology. And I've got this, I'm trying to pay attention to you. And I've got this voice inside of my head that at the same exact time is telling me to go kill myself. It's telling me that I'm severely depressed, that life is hopeless. How could things have gotten so bad, man? What happened to you? You've changed. What, you know, what happened to your brain? Just this panicked voice at all times. And I remember sitting down to a lunch with a work colleague. He was a friend of mine. I was severely anxious. I mean, to the point where I had no appetite. My palms were so sweaty during that time period. I never wanted to shake anybody's hand at work, which is a challenge because you're trying to build uh, a brand inside of the company. And so I was always wiping my hands on my, on my pants, just trying like before I had to shake somebody's hand, because I didn't want them to feel just how sweaty my palms were because of how much anxiety I was feeling. I still suffer from anxiety too today to this day still, but you know, you gotta, it's all in how you, uh, you know, react to it and stuff like that, you know, and when you let your thoughts go racing and stuff, you got to collect your thoughts, even if you have to write it down, whatever you got to do, you know, just, right. just to get those thoughts out of your head is just get them out. If they're not the, the, the nicest thoughts for sure. 100%. And I, and I learned some of those techniques um, through my journey, but it, and I still live with anxiety too, but it's at a much more manageable level now. Oh, for sure. Um, Myself too, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and so, uh, you know, everything kind of came to a head one night um, where I, I really contemplated suicide as the only viable option to end the suffering. Because when you've been in pain for so long, depression is a different type of pain. It's not like a stub your toe pain where it's like spikes and then it kind of throbs for a little bit and then goes away. It's just this lingering pain that that lasts and it, it just sucks the joy out of everything. And it got to the point where I was just starting to feel like it would be better to just not feel the pain at all. Like if I couldn't get rid of it, then it would just be better not to feel it at all. And if I had to do what I had to do to get rid of it, then I would. And so I called my parents in desperation, crying, crying my eyes out. And I just told them, look, I, I don't know what is happening. And I don't know why this is happening to me, but I'm severely anxious. I'm deeply depressed. And I, and I think about suicide all the time and I don't know what to do. And I just remember there was this long pause on the other end of the phone and I think that they were grappling with like, what did our 22 year old son just tell us? And how do we respond? I'm very fortunate. And this is why I do what I do now, because so many people don't get the answer that I got, um, which is my parents told me, look, Zach, we don't know what's going on with you, but we know that you need to get help. And we don't know what that even looks like, but we just know that you need to seek help. And so they probably sat down and started helping you dig into it and got you the help you need, which is amazing, man. You know, I have I'm grateful for my parents for that, too, man. And, you know, my loved ones around me that stuck by my side, you know, through thick and thin for sure. That's right. And you remember those people, right? Like it's like they're they're forever etched in my heart because, it, you know, when I was in that that dark space, just like, you know, I love the name of your your uh, podcast is like 
things get really, really hopeless and hopelessness is where things start to get dangerous. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the next day I started trying to schedule appointments with psychologists and it took me a few to, to actually find the right fit. And I kind of liken that to, uh, when people go, when you go to try on a new pair of shoes, you might not always like the first pair or the brand or nothing for sure. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And sometimes the fits off like Nike's, they just fit different from Adidas. And, you know, I, I travel a lot. Well, when I was in person, it was like, I had all these different brands of, um, you know, dress shoes and they're all different. Right. So you got to find the right fit. And I finally just found my calling for my dress shoe. Finally, you know, there you go. I let let my partner choose them. So maybe that's part of it. And she knew what comfortable was because she buys ones by this German brand too. So (laughs) there you go. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's funny. It's like, I found my fit for running shoes. Um, the other, like probably a couple of months ago and I love them now, I'll never go back to any other brand, but it was, I had to cycle through a lot of different pairs of shoes. And I think that that's one of the parts of the process that, um, people, you have to be committed to the process of finding help for your brain health. Uh, and sometimes that commitment only comes when you're in a place where you feel like you either get the help or it's all over and done with. At least that was what my motivating factor was. I just couldn't tolerate the pain anymore. Um, and funny enough, that's what the case was with my shoes. I was running in a pair of shoes that just made me ache. And I was tired of feeling that pain. I needed a shoe with better support, better comfort. Um, and once I found that fit, voila, I started to I started to get better. And that's the same thing that happened with my brain health. Because I was eventually matched up with a psychologist that knew what was going on with me. And in late 2016, I was diagnosed with a chronic brain disorder known as obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD where the core symptoms are severe anxiety, deep depression, and thoughts of suicide. And so I immediately started talk therapy specific to OCD, which is exposure and response prevention, ERP, and uh, started to make lifestyle changes, uh, started to learn uh, healthy ways to cope with my anxiety and depression. And over the course of a couple years, um, I started to improve. And through that improvement, and that shedding of guilt and embarrassment and shame of having being diagnosed with a, a brain disorder that impacts 1% of the world's population, so millions of people, I just started to cultivate this idea of like, why should I feel ashamed of this? Because it was still like, here's Zach as we're sitting here talking, only let's imagine that you never asked me about my brain health or my story, and I just never told you about it. So there was this whole side of me, this whole struggle, this whole journey, this whole side of growth that nobody knew about because I was scared and embarrassed to tell people. And so eventually I just got to the point of like, I'm not going to live my life like this. And the second part was uh, when I was going through my journey, I ended up in all these different chat rooms where I was reading about all these other people commenting who were OCD sufferers. And they were, man, like, I haven't been in one of those chat rooms just in a little while because it's really heartbreaking. Um, and I do so much advocacy. I, I have to keep balance because I have to still, I live with this every day. So I still have to take care of myself, but some of the stuff you take read, care man, of number just, one, man, that's right. And it's just the saddest thing. And, and I just told myself, you know what? Like when I get through this, I want to make sure that other, I can be a light to somebody else. I want to make sure that if somebody's in that hopeless place, they know that there's a way out. 
And so in 2018, I started advocating. Um, and so, and I started a book, You're Not Alone. I mean, this book has been two years in the making and it's been a journey. It's, it's research backed with thousands of hours of, of research, but it's not jargon heavy. You know, this is a simple read. And I wrote it intentionally in that manner because when somebody is in that dark place, they need something simple. They don't need complex. Exactly. They want to lay up. They want it to be so easy to understand that it, like anybody can read it and they can grasp the concepts and they can get the help that they need. And that's why I wrote the book that way. Um, but that's why that's my story, man. That's why I got into this line of work. And, you know, for me, living with the chronic brain disorder uh, has created a daily reminder in myself why I do what I do. And then because I've been advocating now for so long, um, the messages I receive on a daily basis are also a daily reminder to continue advocating, to continue to get the message out there um, and letting people know that they're not alone, that there is hope for recovery and that there are millions of people worldwide that struggle with these emotions. So don't be ashamed and embarrassed. These are medical conditions. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I do what I do. Well, what are some daily things that you do for your mental health just to keep your physical, you know, and mental health, you know, in check sort of thing? What are three things that you do on a daily, man? Yeah. And I, I, I love that you pared it down to, to three because one of my big philosophies in life and like when I was reading, a, like I was, I was reading books first for self-education, trying to figure out how to cope with anxiety and depression. And then when I was going in to start writing this book, I read a, a ton more of uh, mental health books out there in the space. And the complexity of some of these books just baffled me. They just lost me. I had to put some of them down and it was, they were written by doctors and not to discredit doctors because we need them. We absolutely, they're a critical part of the recovery process. Uh, I'm but trying you, to get into one and get in and out of one too. You talk about that with the jargon and like, it's very complex, man. Like one for <laughs> sure that I can relate to, like when you're talking like that is psycho cybernetics, great read, but it's so complex though. Cause it was written by a plastic surgeon. You know what I mean? It's all about self image and stuff like that. And, and that's the thing, man, is like he, he or she wrote that book to their colleague. Yeah, they thought they were writing it to an end consumer like yourself. But what I came to discover is there was a lot of ego um, in those books. And so my big philosophy in life is just keeping things so simple you can't fail. And what I mean by that is as soon as you make something in today's day and age, especially where there's so much coming at us at once, too complex, people just say, I don't want anything to do with it. And so for me, when I think about my brain health blueprint, that's what I call it, which is my plan of how I'm going to take care of my brain on a daily basis, I pare it down into some simple activities. The first of which is meditation. I start every single day with a 10-minute guided meditation off of the app Headspace. And Andy Putakambe is one of the founders of Headspace. And he just, I mean, in my opinion, he does just a fantastic job. Um, and I've always gravitated towards him. I've meditated. I've been meditating for uh, five or six years now. I've logged over 18,000 minutes of meditation. And I think one of the big reasons why I've recovered to the level that I have is because of this one simple activity that I do every single day. And for those of your listeners that are tuning in right now who don't know a lick about meditation. I want them to know that I started in the same position. 
I don't have any background in meditation at all. My family is, they're not meditators. Um, nobody in my life was a meditator. What, what actually drew me to, to the act was an article that I read way back in the day about top CEOs and athletes utilizing meditation as a tool to gain an edge on the competition. So what initially started out as this like competitive, I'm going to just have a step, you know, it's like why Kobe Bryant shaved off like a, a small fraction of his shoe of the sole of his shoe. So he had an extra step on, on the competition. What started as that has become something totally different. It's become uh, more of a focus on calming the beehive. Imagine that beehive getting knocked and bees flying around everywhere, thoughts flying around everywhere. And the act of meditation is sitting with that beehive over your head, bees flying everywhere, and just slowly and methodically trying to, to focus on your breath, knowing that you're going to get caught up in the thoughts and the bees buzzing around your head. But what science has shown and what my own experience has shown is that just 10 minutes of, of that back and forth can quiet the mind and it can actually change our brainwaves from really rapid cognitive thinking to more easy sloping brainwaves that we can achieve when we're in a meditative state. And this isn't like being a Buddhist, like you don't have to sit on a pillow and meditate for half a day. You can achieve that same result from just 10 minutes and you don't have to be an expert. And I say that because every single day I show up as the student, not the teacher. And I just let Andy run the show. And all I try to do is sit there with my thoughts. Some days I'm really good and I can really zone in on my breath. Some days I go down the rabbit hole on thoughts, but it's just the act of showing up that I think has made a big difference. And, and meditation is a science and not a religion. And what I mean by that is you can get the same results replicated over and over and over again. And I think that that's one of the big things I want people to understand. So that's the first thing I do. But I'll pause there. Not sure if you have any questions. No, 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 man. So the second thing that I do is uh, expression of self. And what I mean by that is I liken that to the tea kettle. So you put if you put uh, some some water on the stove and start to heat it up to make a cup of tea. Eventually, when it's when it's heated up to the point that steam needs to be released, what's going to happen? That flap opens up and steam blows out, right? Well, our emotions are are very similar in that way. So we're always going through these life experiences that are creating emotions inside of us, and some of them are positive, some of them are negative. The negative experiences oftentimes have this ability to build up inside and they need, they always need to find a point of release. And sometimes in life, the way that we release those emotions come, comes out in negative ways. It comes out in substance abuse. It comes out in violent behavior. It comes out in verbal abuse. It comes out in aches and pains in different parts of the body. Um, and because we hold in the emotions that we're feeling and we don't feel comfortable talking to the people around us, these emotions build up and they intensify, persist, linger, and get worse. And what I've found is that just expressing your emotions, whether that be to a therapist, so a qualified professional, um, or your most trusted advisor, for me, that's my fiance um, or my mom, uh, 
on a daily basis. And if you can't do that, write them down. 100% journaling, which is something I do every night before bed, which is, which is a a great point that you bring up. Um, So finding a way to release that steam every single day. And what I've found is that helps create long-term recovery because one of the biggest issues that I faced in the first two years of relearning my brain was that I kept quote unquote relapsing. So I'd get my anxiety and depression to this manageable point and I'd be like, okay, I'm good. Like, man, I hope it doesn't come back. I hope it doesn't come back. And then big surprise, it would always come back. And what I would do in these periods where I would feel it creeping back in is I would shut down and I would try to figure out everything on my own. And what ended up happening was the depression would just continue to get worse and worse and worse until basically we had this one pivotal moment, my fiance and I, where I was just in a total depressed state and I was pissed off because I'm like, damn it, man. Like, I literally just feel like if this is what it's always going to be, like, I'm just sick of this shit. Like, I'm tired of it. And she, you know, she was, she could tell something was wrong. I'm having all this internal dialogue with myself. And eventually she's just like, what do you want me to do? Like you shut down. You won't tell me anything. Like, how am I supposed to be here to help? I can't see inside of your brain. Like you have to give me something to work with. I just remember some substance, some substance. And we went on this long walk and I just poured it all out. And I remember there was just this light bulb moment that clicked in me where it was like, this is one of the hidden gems. And it's so simple. You can't fail. I just have to talk about how I feel at some point in the day, every day, no matter what I've been through, no matter how big or small the event, whether it's something annoying that happened at work, something frustrating in my day, just getting it out. And what's so funny is that by just speaking about it, you release that energy. And that's been a a really, a really great tool for me. And I think, you know, to anybody who's listening, like, yeah, it's great to start with a friend or a family member, especially if they understand you. But like, you definitely want to have a formal uh, mental health care provider, a therapist, a psychologist, a counselor, a social worker, somebody that you can speak to, to release this energy. And like, what I really love is that there are people close to me in my life who have a weekly cadence with their therapist. And it's just beautiful to see because the growth, the growth just, it compounds. It's like this exponential growth that just, you start to learn things and become more aware of your behaviors, your patterns, your thought processes, and you can just grow so much. Um, So that's the second thing I do every single day is I just, I express where I'm at. I don't deny, push down, or try to shoulder through what I'm feeling. Um, And then the last thing is physical activity. So whether that's a walk around the neighborhood, which I do every single day, at least twice, um, or physical activity, uh, where I'm going to the gym. Um, and for me, like I really enjoy working out. Um, I'm actually on a six week workout program right now, but releasing endorphins every day. Like I was so tense, um, in my body, Chris, and candidly to everybody listening, I had this like underlying layer of frustration, which is a byproduct, uh, which is a symptom of anxiety where these feelings of frustration can build up in the body. Like you kind of feel like you're on edge. And so I went to the gym and worked out for an hour. And afterwards, the combination of the endorphins in my body, plus, frankly, just kind of wearing myself out a little bit, really helped stabilize my mood. 
Um, and it, it kind of, it got me into the right frame of mind. And so I try to do those three things every single day, um, and just make it so simple. You can't fail. You don't need to go to the gym and be an Olympic, uh, weightlifter, like go lift some weights for a little bit, go run on the treadmill, go take a, a group fitness class, go do yoga, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you do that gets you excited go do it and just realize you're not training for the Olympics. Like if you get there and walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes and you feel a little bit better, but you're done working out, nobody's judging you. Just that's it. You're done for the day. Good job. You got a little movement in. Um, and so those are really the three things that I try to focus on. Um, and I never put a cap on meditation. So some days I meditate once a day. Sometimes I meditate three times a day. Um, on really tough days, I might do five. Uh, where it's, you know, 10 minutes of meditation five times a day. And that's just to reframe and recenter. And I've, be, I've gotten to a place where I'm okay with that. I don't beat myself up if that's the case. Wow. Thanks so much, man. That's that, Those are three great points, you know, and I, I'm, I got so much out of that myself. You know, before we go, want to let everyone know where they can find your book, you know, You're Not Alone, and where they can find you on Instagram, social media and stuff. Yeah, 100%. So they can find me on Instagram at Zach underscore Westerbeck. Uh, and I in the book, I have all of my other social media platforms um, at the back. So if they're interested in the book, you can find the book on Amazon. Um, the link to that is also in my Instagram bio. So they can find it there. Um, or you can and type in you're not alone into Amazon and my book will, will populate up there at the top. And it's uh, a white and orange cover with a very vibrant brain on it. Uh, so when you see it, you'll, you'll know it's my book. Um, and if they want to learn more about what I do, they can go to www.zachwesterbeck.com to learn more about my speaking programs, my coaching programs. Um, and they can also find the book there too. Thanks so much for coming on the show today to share your story, man. Really appreciate it a lot. Yeah, Chris. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. New episode comes out every Monday at 7 a.m. on all streaming platforms. And you can follow me on Instagram at Depth of Dark Side and on Facebook at From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. Have a great week, folks.